to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things we do. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. That way, our exciting topics and interviews that we have lining up will just pop right up on your iPhone or other device. And we'll say, hey, come listen to me. I don't know what I'm doing, Josh. I've only had two sips of coffee. You're doing great. The other day, I slept for nine straight hours, just straight, like a bear in hibernation. I woke up. And I was like on top of the world. This was two days ago. And then yesterday, mm-hmm. like I got to bed a little later and I woke up again at like 4.30 in the morning. And it's just like my body cannot go. But my point being is I still have that lingering effect from the nine hours of sleep. And I think I'm still feeling good. Mm-hmm. So I know what we're doing. And this is going to be a great episode. That's all we need is just one of us to know what we're doing. I guess I'll let you lead the way then. Take us into who we are and what we're doing right now. All right. Well, listen, you left out a part. We are on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Joshua Hallman. Josh Hallman. Tasha, you're there too somewhere. Story Thursday on Instagram and threads and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. Before we get into the main topic, which is a great topic because it's something you and I have been talking about for... I think off and on, like even on the last episode, we've been talking about villains and we've been talking about... I feel like we talk about this for our entire lives. We do. We really do. And this Since we've met each other. This topic has come up in my personal writing. Uh, I've got notes that were not great. I just kind of bury them about the villain. But before we get into all that, I wanted to do a newsy slash This Week in Writing. This week in writing. The movie Elemental, Tasha. Yeah. We've talked about it. We have. This Pixar movie was kind of doing poorly when it was first released. And then it picked up steam through the box office over uh, the summer. And it ended up making almost like $500 million worldwide. Holy shit. And then it just got released on Disney+. And apparently it was the most watched uh, movie on Disney+, Plus since Turning Red, which was a pandemic movie. When people were just dying Mm -hmm. to watch something. Yeah. And I only bring this up because it doesn't feel like this happens to movies anymore. It feels like movies, they get out of the gate. And if they don't have a huge box office, they just kind of like fizzle out. But Elemental Mm -hmm. like defied the odds. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And I'm trying to figure out why. And that's all. I just wanted to bring this up because I think it's a really, I mean, it's like everyone thought this was a flop. Yeah, I it is interesting because actually as you were talking about it, Barbie came to mind weirdly because I feel like we kind of saw the trailer of Barbie and when it sort of first came out, it's like, oh man, like they're really doing a Barbie movie? That's going to happen? I guess it looks kind of funny. It looks a little weird. But then word of mouth just picked up and became this kind of avalanche essentially where it became as the phenomenon that we know it is today. Yeah. But... I feel like that was a, we watched that live sort of happen. It's not like the trailer came out and everyone was already about Barbenheimer. That was word of mouth that picked up. And it's always so fun to me when word of mouth causes movies or TV shows 
to just really like hit some kind of zeitgeist. It's really fun because it means it's good. Yeah. It means that people are talking about it and are encouraging their friends to see it, et cetera, et cetera. And like, that's what movies do. And that's what shows do is it brings us together. It makes us talk about things. And I guess to me, like the reason I saw it, so I guess I'm part of the story too, is that I wasn't going to see it. I saw the trailer and I didn't think the trailer was good. I thought it was like, ah, oh, Pixar's phoning it in. Mm. And then people started saying it's really poignant. It's it's about immigration. And if you have any immigrants in your family or you yourself are an immigrant, you're going to feel this story in a particular way. And I was like, oh, I've not felt that from a movie before and certainly not a Pixar movie. I would love to experience what that feeling is and so I went and saw it and I enjoyed it and I cried and all the things so I went I don't know I, I don't know you went out the gate and saw it because Pixar is you're a big fan of Pixar and you have a child I am this is my jam those those overlap for if you're a father and you like Pixar settle down <laughs> so you were gonna see it regardless you didn't even like need the word of mouth stuff to get you into that theater did you hear weird word of mouth to get you into the theater though before if I'm just being completely honest, I wasn't that overly excited for the movie. I, I was like, something's not, I don't know about this movie, but then I saw it and I thought it was really, really fun and it hit all the emotional chords and I thought it it clearly is resonating. Like something's going yeah. on. It's more than just being out in the movie theater, but this movie's resonating and one day I would like to really kind of dive deeper into this and figure out, maybe we do a breakdown of it, but we talk like there's maybe something. Maybe do a breakdown. It's on Disney Plus now. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into our main topic, I do not have it this week in writing this week, but spec check. Mm-hmm. Spec check. Oh, I've got I've got some news for you. Ooh, let's hear it. You ready for this? I don't know. So I've been working on my spec, going. I'm, I've kind of actually was finding a little bit of a, a little bit of a groove. I'm feeling better. I'm like, oh, okay. The last episode we talked about, I was having some trouble in the opening, but I kind of felt okay. I can move past this. I was in a groove. And then the other night, I'm sitting down with my wife and we're having a conversation and we were talking about like movie ideas or TV show ideas. And she starts with a little bit of a spitball. I go in with a little bit of a spitball. And then this idea formed that clicked so clearly in my brain for a television idea, which has never happened to me before, ever. Like television, you know, I've, this is like my dream. I've been yeah. like, I need to figure out something to write for TV. Yeah. And it's like sub first place. I'm, I'm, I'm writing an outline for the first time ever with my wife kind of there. Whoa. And it's, that's where I'm at right now. That's incredible. So my spec check is like relationship check at the same time now. Now my worlds have fully integrated. And that's that. And by the way... Is your wife now your writing partner? By the way, this probably wouldn't be possible if there was no strike happening because, you know, during the strike, she's... Or when there's no striking time, she's just completely busy. You know how it is where it's like you're, everyone's it's just working. You're kind of in your own zone. But uh, we've had some time on our hands and I'm going to try to write something with my wife. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I ask a follow-up question? Please. Is the title page going to read written by Josh Hallman and Nicole Hallman? Josh and Nicole Hallman. You know I'm not going to give her any credit. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted that said on the record. 
Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I got to think this through. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't that's know. pretty great. So that's, that's it. Great. My spec check, though, but my my spec that I'm that I've been working on is is actually coming along. Totally mature. Is it, or did you take a right turn because you saw this new shiny TV idea? No, no, no. I was very aware of that, and we actually re- we've been talking about this like this new idea. But the other thing with this new shiny TV idea, I was like, we need to outline this like right now while we still have this time because I need someone yeah. to bounce ideas off of and. I need you to be a sounding board. Now that you're actually engaged in an idea, usually I'm just talking to her and she's kind of like, yeah, yes, no. You know, like she'll give me her opinion, but not, you know, when someone's like engaged in something. So, um, and it's great. We'll like go out to dinner and I'm like spitballing ideas and stuff. I love that. That's so, so fun. That's where my life is right now. It's so fun to have a partner that you can do that with. Well, we're in the early stages. Check back with me in a week. <laughs> I, I think we talked about this on the podcast. It was quite a while ago now, a few few months for sure. But Paul and I were on a mini vacation to just get out of LA for a weekend. And we were sitting having dinner and drinks. And I was like, man, I really wish I could crack my death spell spec that I was working on. And he's like, well, let's talk about it. I was like, really? Are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah let's, let's get into it. And I was like, well, here's my problem with it. And he's like, oh. And then he like kind of cracked through what the relationship should be. And we just started riffing. And then I went back, we went back to our hotel room and I immediately wrote it all down. I haven't done anything with it since, but it's there waiting to mm. be rewritten. And it was just, it was an amazing moment. I loved it. I think that's the goal, though. In Hollywood, if you're working and you have a spouse, you're like, let's work on something together. And if you can successfully mm-hmm. do it, to me, that's always been like the dream. And I'm not just saying this, but I've, I've, I always like my wife and I would always be like, oh, we try to figure something out. And this is now going back years and years. We've been together for a minute. And then when this happened, I was like, oh, my God, this this might be it. This could be it. This is That's it. Really sweet. Maybe maybe one day you'll actually get her, you know, like a gift or something, like a Christmas gift, or maybe it'll start, you know, turning into. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to your spec check. Um, mine is much more depressing than that. My last check in was we had writers group, and everyone gave me really great notes except for Josh, who didn't go. And then um, I was really inspired uh-huh. by that. I reread the whole entire thing when I got home that night. And I was like, yes, I can't wait. And I got really busy and uh, haven't touched it since. And I'm not gonna be able to touch it this week either. So is it brewing anywhere in your brain or are you just like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it? No, that's what's sad too, is it's not even like percolating. It's just, I have a a lot of Tomb Raider stuff right now. And so it's like my entire day because you really got to hit this thing in the morning, like when you're yeah. fresh as a spec, yeah. like it's just so much heavy lifting. So by the time yeah. the end of the day hits, I'm just like, I just want to play Baldur's Gate. I don't want to do anything else. So that's been my spec check. I actually met with my other goal buddy since I got kicked out of your guys' goal buddy. Oh my God. And I was talking to him about another project that I have not made headway on. And it's a short story of mine. And he goes, you know, like, how many hours would it take you to finish it? And I was like, oh, well, I haven't really thought about it in terms of hours, but I think probably like four or five. He's like, okay, well, why don't you find a day in your calendar that you don't have 
a whole bunch of Tomb Raider meetings. You don't have to see Josh and do your podcast. Oh, like, man. <laughs> when, when can you just sit down for four to five hours and block it out? I was like, okay. So I looked at my calendar and I found a day that I didn't really have anything um, until like the afternoon. So I was like, boom, that's the day, four to five hours. And I like scheduled it into my calendar to finish this short story. So there's like no excuses. That day is there. It's next week. It's happening. Okay. It's all happening next week. All right, I'm excited. I think it's a great short story. And like I've said to you a million times, it's crazy that you haven't finished the short story. I know. I'm, I have so much shame around it. That's good. You know I operate really well in a place of shame. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I could project that. Onto I love you. how different we are. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. Main topic. Yeah, what is it? We're talking about villains. Hmm. What makes a villain interesting? What makes a villain likable? What makes us root for a villain when they are a villain? This has definitely been something we've been talking about. A lot of times in my scripts, I get notes that maybe my villains aren't complex enough. And by villain, I mean, obviously, the bad guy of the story, the, the, the antagonist. I guess let me just ask you, first and foremost... Do you ever get those notes? Like, is that a, a common theme in anything that you write where it's like, hey, Tasha, this this antagonist isn't, we need some more depth here? I wouldn't say it's a common thing. I've definitely gotten it where like, he seems mustache twirly in this scene. Can mm-hmm. we add more nuance here? But as a whole, I love villains and I love making them empathetic. So it's a big part of my process. So I, I don't typically get it, but have well i'm glad you brought up some of the nuances what you just said like adding some nuances because i want to talk about that because these are really important and i want to talk about what makes a villain more complex than a mustache twirly individual yeah but i also want to i want to ask you a question first two questions okay who is the villain in barbie this is a good question yeah it feels like there are i feel like ken is the main villain yeah i I told you I was going to throw some things at you. Yeah, yeah. But Will Ferrell is also part of that. I mean, it's just who is the antagonist to Barbie, right? Like creating conflict for her. And Ken is the main person. Yeah. Well, I bring this up because I feel like Ken mm-hmm. is like a perfect example of where this conversation is going to go because he has a lot of humanity. We understand Ken. He has a like a speech somewhere twice, three times throughout where it's like you could just tell this man loves Barbie but he's been beat mm-hmm. down so many times. She's been ignoring him, and he looks at himself as a companion to Barbie. It's Barbie and Ken, and you actually feel bad for Ken in the Barbie movie mm-hmm. when this is happening, and when I watched that, that was actually part of like this conversation. And anyway, so I thought we could just kind of talk about how to build out. That's a really like interesting this. example, too, because when we think of villains, like if you don't write big movies like Josh and I do, I think this conversation still applies to you, right? Because it's just the antagonist in your story and your antagonist could be your main character, could be your hero. Like it doesn't matter. But all of these things that we think of when we try to create relatable villains still applies to even those small indie stories. But like when I think of Barbie, the thing that starts her on her journey is technically is the girl in the real world, the woman in the real world, America Ferraro, who is like not leading her best life or something, right? Like she stopped believing in the Barbie 
dream of she can be whoever she wants to be. And she's struggling, which causes her Barbie, our main Barbie, to have self-doubt and self-awareness. Right? So, like, that's interesting because oftentimes we think the villain has to be the thing that sets the story in motion. Sure. And that's not necessarily the case. And then you have Ken. And then you have, well, well, Farrell, like, there's a lot of antagonists, really. There's not just one. Yeah, and I also got to thinking about the show The White Lotus. Yeah. And I was like, in season one. When they're in Hawaii, I was they're like, just all villains. Yeah, I was like, well, who? Because then, it, you know, then it goes into the territory of who's the anti-hero, well, who's it, like an anti-hero, who's a villain or the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And I think the main thing that and what White Lotus did very well is you start to understand these people, even though you don't root for them necessarily. You're understanding where they come from, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty key to the villain creation process. Yeah, it's creating empathy for the for your antagonist. It's super important. I always try to remember that the villains think they're the hero in their story. No one's just evil, right? Like, unless you are a true sociopath where something in your brain is is incorrect and therefore the chemicals cause you to behave a certain way, there is going to be a reason you're behaving this way that makes sense to you. Like, <laughs> we were talking about both of us had a back injury, right? And like... When I had my back injury, I was a little snippy. <laughs> I was like, I was not fully present with my husband. And there was a moment where he's like, what's going on? And I'm just like, to be honest, it has nothing to do with anything except I have this back pain and it's all I can think about. And that's causing me to behave <laughs> in this not great manner. So that's just a microcosm of the macrocosm, which is everyone has a reason why they're behaving this way. You have to find out what your villains reason is and i don't know where you're going with his conversation but it feels like you kind of break down what those reasons could be i was just going in the place of just kind of talking about what we do to make likable antagonists or not not likable but antagonists you at least have to understand where they're coming from yeah perfect example bad back we're angry at the world things suck and you're you're watching this happen as a viewer and then you realize, oh man, this person's in chronic pain. I get it. Yeah. They're still a piece of shit right now, but I get it. Not saying that you're like, mm-hmm. but that's, you know. I actually start to think about uh, the story that we're breaking that you can watch us break on our Patreon yeah. when it comes out. But we were kind of talking about our, our villain character and... We realized we were like creating this story for him of why he's why he's being a villain and why he's doing this to our main hero. And we realized we had to stop because we didn't understand why he's in this movie in particular. So then we started coming from a different angle, which is why is he the perfect villain for our hero? And that is often a place where I start when I when I start to think about here uh, villains is why are they in this story right now? And why are they the perfect foil, the perfect villain for my hero? And it's usually because my hero needs to learn a specific lesson over the course of the movie or the TV show. And therefore, they need to be put up against a villain that challenges them in that specific way. So I kind of can't figure out who my villain is until I know who my hero is and what they need to learn and do over the course of their journey. Once I do that, like let's say my hero's journey is a journey of self-confidence and empowerment. So then my villain needs to be someone who challenges 
their self-confidence, who makes them feel small, who makes them feel like they can't do the thing. And my hero then has to, by overcoming the villain, also uh, overcomes her own insecurities, her own issues that I've given her over the course of the movie. So once I use that as a starting place, and I think once we did that with our villain, it opened us up to, okay, now we have a specificity to our villain that we can work within. Before it was just broad. It was like, he could have any fucking motivation. Sure. He could do any fucking thing. It doesn't, like, it just throw it at a wall. And now we had specificity. And I think that that's a really important starting point. And then what do you think are some ways in a script to show this with your antagonist? Are, are you, is there anything that you specifically do, like a tip or a trick? Hmm. I haven't been able to really, this is a general thing. Like I haven't been able to codify my process in a way because I feel like every story is different and every story takes me on a new journey of how to think about story. So maybe I just haven't been doing it long enough to come up with the code. Uh, but to me, every, every villain presents a different problem. So sometimes a villain requires a flashback. Sometimes a villain simply requires a conversation, like in Heat, where you have Al Pacino sitting across from Robert De Niro having an honest conversation about the kind of men they are. And that's all you need to understand they're just two sides of the same coin. Um, sometimes you have the hero go back to the childhood home <laughs> where our villain grew up in and like seize their space. And through walking through their space in real time, they start to get a handle on who this person is. And we do too. Like every villain is different. So I don't necessarily have a tip or trick, except that you do need scenes that show what you're trying to get across. You can't just kind of assume Unless, like, okay, so John Wick comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And the villains in John Wick are not particularly deep or nuanced, per se. But their dialogue, I think, is very good. Their acting is very good. And so the nuance is created simply by personality. And in that movie, it feels like that's all you need. Do you agree or disagree? Well, it's interesting because... I'm John Wick one where the father is really upset that his son killed John Wick's dog. It shows that moment of the father trying to work this out. Like the father mm -hmm. is the antagonist who then has all of his minions go out and try to kill John Wick. I think you understand where he's coming from because he's a father mm -hmm. stuck in a really difficult spot. If this wasn't his son, he would just kill the guy and call it a day. Yeah. But it's his son. And now you're like, well, John, I don't want to have to do this, but you can't kill my son. And I think that's just really important in showing the reasoning to why someone makes the actions or has the actions that they have throughout any film or television show is just understanding yeah. where they are coming from. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, that's a tough spot. You got to kill yeah. John Wick. That's a really great point, actually. I sort of forgotten that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that adds humanity, right? That's a big part of what's required, I think, in a villain. Even, like, if you're if you're not going to do, like, this person is has the exact same tragic backstory as my hero and they're just on parallel paths or, you know, your save the cat moment with your villain where they do something that, oh, man, they're terrible, but they love cats and they, mm -hmm. they, they rescue cats and they, they volunteer at a pet adoption place if you're not gonna do any of that then like finding the humanity in that character 
might just be enough. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I had once uh, talked to a producer who's a friend, and I remember he would always tell me to show the pain of your antagonist. Like, make sure we see your antagonist's mm -hmm. pain to really understand where they're coming from. And that always stuck with me because, you know, whether that is, you know, showing an antagonist with the, the loss of their child or in a divorce or what, whatever it may be, it's just that one thing you can latch onto to be like, man, this guy's a piece of shit. But man, oh man, I understand why they are doing what they are doing because yeah. of that. And I think if you can just do that, you're golden for your, for your antagonist making it work. I'm going to turn the questions back on you. Talk to me. Do you feel like, because I started thinking of your your witch movie, where your, your witch just does awful things because she's a witch, yeah, and that's really, what witches do. Really cutting the core today, Tasha. Yeah, I'm getting to the meat. But then, you know, thinking of your other scripts too, do you feel like you need to show your pers the perspective of your villain in all of your movies? Or do you feel like this person is a villain and that's enough? Like, especially with a witch, because that's like a trope in a good way. Like you can lean on the idea that this is a witch. Everyone knows witches do evil things for witchy reasons. And I'm just going to lean on that to make you understand who this villain is. Do you just let that slide or do you need to see a POV of the witch? All right. Well, so just to give some context, I wrote a script about a witch in this small suburban town that starts kidnapping kids on Halloween and she needs to get a specific so amount of kids. And then a woman who lives next door to her broke in, breaks into the house and gets stuck in this house. That is like the inverse invert of, you know, wherever the witch lives, just giving that context. Normally I wouldn't give that much, but I think the script is dead and it lives in some weird purgatory. So I can talk about it. It'll come now. back. I do think that it would benefit if I showed the witch's perspective. But yes, I kind of leaned into that wrongfully as like, it's a witch. It's a trope. She's just a bad person trying to get these kids. But there is something wrong with this script. I don't fully know what it is, but I think a lot of it has to do with my antagonist's problem and why she's doing what she's mm -hmm. doing. Even though I kind of thought I explained it, and I'll just defend it right now, but I'm not going to. Well, there's something interesting to that idea, right? Because you are using a, a a sort of fairy tale witch that people are familiar enough with that they should get it why they're doing the things they're doing. It's because that's just fucking what they do. It's, it's just what just they do. John Wick kills. This witch kill, takes kids. It's just what happens. And it makes... So now I go to Rapunzel and the movie Tangled and the witch in that movie, her only wish is to be young and to stay young forever. And it feels like the only real moment we get to see her point of view is when she comes home and she's kind of old looking mm -hmm. and she makes Rapunzel sing to her so that she like, she kind of gets refreshed again. And you understand what's at stake for Mother Gothel, which is that if she doesn't keep Rapunzel, she'll age and eventually die. And this woman is so afraid of that that she'll, you know, keep this child in perpetuity kidnapped and maybe like stuff like maybe like that's all you need for the witch thing is like to she just you see her eating a child and she goes young again and you're like oh, okay like this at least i understand she's she has an issue with immortality this whole conversation is making me want to bring that script back i love it so much joshua <laughs> a poor script i want you know like a couple months ago i just 
broke it open and reread it. Yeah. And I was like, damn, what is wrong with this script? You'll find it eventually. Like you'll have enough distance you can, you can one day. What you just said is a really good point. There ha- I think just from experience of getting the notes, in my opinion is that yeah, you do need that moment of just understanding why they are doing what they are doing. Yes, it is enough to be like, yeah, that's a witch and she's bad and she's going to die if she doesn't ca- kidnap X amount of kids, but it's better if it's like, you know what, we're seeing her go through the process of dying and we now it like it just raises the stakes of what she mm-hmm. wants and it makes you understand. Damn it, I wish I would have thought about that when I wrote it. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and it's interesting because I have also found that let's just say your character is a sociopath mm-hmm. and that's their villain and their sociopath and therefore they act in evil ways just because. I have found if I start with that as my villain, once I get into the writing of it, there's a lot less drama to be had because this person's just evil. And so when my, my hero goes against them, those scenes are not complicated. I mean, complex or not nuanced. It's just good versus evil. And to me, that's very boring. Like even in Avengers, you had Thanos who had a very moral reason why he was doing this. He watched his entire planet perish because of overpopulation. And that tragedy and that sadness devastated him so much. He vowed to never let that happen to other people again. And he did terrible things to do that, but he was driven by this sadness that he had. And even when he succeeded, that sadness never went away, which of course is also very interesting. So then now that you have that as his backstory, whenever your hero was up against your villain, it wasn't just like, mwahaha, evil speech against good. And like, it wasn't that kind of like 50s black and white morality. It was like, he has real pain, as you said, like find the pain in your hero. He has real pain behind what he's doing. And there's empathy there. And it just immediately complicates those scenes in a really good way. It just makes them far more dramatic. So again, drama is our job. (laughs) So finding ways for every scene to be more dramatic is reason enough to put this extra effort into your villain before you start writing. Don't just assume your villain will sort of be okay just because they are against your hero. I think you do have to do as much work with your villain as as with your hero. I completely agree. And so one other thing is the redemption of a villain is very important. I mm. feel like for to hit at the end of your story, meaning they have gone against your hero the entire movie. The antagonist, the hero, they're going against each other. We We get to know the antagonist a bit. You understand why they're doing what they're doing, even if it's a little misguided, but by the end, they have an understanding of what they were either doing was wrong or they were misguided. They're, they have a change of mind. They have a change of heart, whatever it may be there. I think you have to show the change within your villain to really land the plane of uh, like mm. why you cared about this person. Mm. Killmonger from Black Panther, great villain comes to mind. So good. That is such a satisfying ending. with him it's so tragic but my counterpoint is someone once told me (laughs) that and this is something they had learned from anime that your hero and your villain are two characters who have had the same trauma not literally like both of their mothers were killed but maybe you know they have had uh loss in their lives both of them and they are traveling down parallel paths 
but your hero becomes a hero because despite their trauma or maybe because of it, they choose heroic, they make heroic choices. Whereas the villain traveling the same path with the same tragedy makes poor choices, makes cruel choices, mean choices. Mm. So they are essentially like the shadow, the villain is the shadow self of your hero is something a producer once told me that they found very interesting. And I was fascinated by that because to me, I'm fascinated by what makes someone evil, I guess, or cruel. What makes them a bad guy? Just in life, I'm fascinated by that. So to me, I don't necessarily build redemption into my story. Not that they can't be redeemed. Um, like I recently wrote something where the the villain is pretty bad, but then is redeemed at the end when he's sort of subdued by the hero. But I think part of what makes a villain so good is that they can't see the same good side that the hero does. Like they're just, whatever has happened in their backstory gives them a point of view on the world that's very specific. And they, they simply see your hero as the bad guy. So to go to the bad guy's side defeats their entire purpose. I don't necessarily build redemption into my villains. You know, as I was saying that, I was starting to wonder if I do that. Because I write so many things that don't have, like, the villain redeeming themselves. Like, it's more or less, like, like I sometimes I'll write selfish antagonists who are doing selfish mm -hmm. things uh, for their own personal gain in a big action movie. And they literally die trying to see themselves have their personal gain or like they died trying to trying to make it through so not always as i was saying that i i don't always have the redemption but i do think if you can appropriately put it into your antagonist yeah because that's equally tragic right like if your villain can't change and dies because of it like that's pretty flawed but i think you need to m make sure the audience understands that that's why they're failing is because they can't let go of their flaw. Yeah, I agree. Should we talk about some villains? Okay. I have some villains that I like, and I realize that a lot of them were just like big movie villains, and I wish I could be smarter about my my villain choices. Um, but I'll start with one that's smaller. So the vice president in West Wing. <laughs> oh, no, this is great. One small. Let's just, yeah, let's go through a few of these and why they work. I love him because, and I love... I love when shows and movies do this and I wish I'm like trying to hone this skill better, but where you, so the vice president in West wing, when you first meet him, he's like such a dick. He's an antagonist to president Bartlett and you love president Bartlett so much that anyone who challenges him or is kind of rude to him, you immediately dislike. Mm -hmm. So you immediately dislike this vice president. And then somewhere in the first, I don't know, all the seasons blend to me. But I think once you've established that he's a dick and has his own agenda, you find out he's a recovering alcoholic and that he runs this like secret private AA meeting for all the people on the Hill who don't want it public that they are also recovering addicts. And there's a moment there where you're like, oh, A, it like brings in the humanity that we talked about. And then gives him a challenge, a personal issue that he is dealing with that we didn't know 
he was having to deal with on a daily basis. And so suddenly there was just more complexity to this man. There was more nuance. I had empathy with the fact that he was struggling with this and not only struggling with it, but like trying to do better. Yeah. And he brings up that he has this private AA meeting to someone he is extremely antagonistic to over the entire season. Like they are yelling at each other. And then this moment happens and it's so human yeah. and real and it may, it completely changes how you feel about this person. And he's still a villain. He's still antagonistic to the people that you love. And he's still sort of a, a roadblock to them and what they want. But now he has more character, more personality. I love that. I'm going to throw one back at you. Go. Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> a total other direction. Big time. I, I, I made a huge turn. But I was thinking about her and perfect example of like a maniac, but understanding why she's a maniac. This is why I love this character. is because if the hero just didn't sleep with her, this wouldn't have been a problem. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just, it's, it, there's this part where, where you always go back to with a character like that, where you're like, well, the hero fucked up. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand. She's taking it way too far. She just burned a bunny or whatever, boiled the bunny. Mm-hmm. I, I always love that. And that's, a, I think, a really good way to kind of just make a movie where like this woman's just terrorizing this family and maybe she could have been obsessed with Michael Douglas but because he was married and he slept with her it makes her actions just slightly more justifiable it does and it makes him in some ways a villain like she becomes a villain because she takes it way too far as you're saying but that's what villains do that's why they are villains But he was a villain at the start. Like, that's what's kind of so interesting about the movie is he starts as the villain and then becomes the victim. Yeah, totally. I love anti-hero. Like, I love that idea, like the Michael Douglas. That's something I've always tried to, like, figure out my own self, like how to create characters like that where they're kind of bad, but you're rooting for them. I struggle with it so hard because I'm afraid the audience is going to hate them. And it's something I actively struggle with in my work now because I also love gray areas with my heroes. And so I've definitely gotten notes where like, I wonder if the audience is going to hate that character for doing that thing. And I have to have faith that the audience is smart enough and emotional enough to understand that. So that this, let's say this character does a really terrible thing. He kills Josh's bunny Mm. in Josh loves this bunny so much. And he killed the villain kills <laughs> the bunny in scene two. I have to have faith that by scene 10, when I give them the reason why this character has killed the bunny, and it's an emotional, really sad, tragic reason, that the audience is going to be like, oh, okay, I do yeah. love this character. Rather than remembering that scene to bunny kill and being like, fuck it, fuck this guy. Like, I hate him no matter what you tell me to do. And that's that scares me. And it's always something I think writers have to take risks on. But it's it's worth it when you, it's a big payoff when you watch it and it, and it succeeds. Do you have another? Magneto. That's why I was, that's my next one. Oh, can we do it together? Yeah. I loved it because obviously you have a whole series where Magneto is just straight villain. I don't know what his backstory is. I don't know why he hates people so much. I mean, I guess I kind of do, but it feels like a villainous reason just on its own. But then you get to first class, right? That's the, the movie where you see his backstory as a child in a concentration mm-hmm. camp. 
with fucking Kevin Bacon. It's mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon, right? Yeah. And now you're like, I love this poor boy. Like, save him, poor thing. Let him burn every human to the ground. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes a good guy for a lot of the movie. He's in with the heroes. And we all know he's going to turn bad. So the experience of watching the movie becomes very interesting and different than any any X-Men before or since, where you're waiting for that moment where he turns. And there's all already friction. Like the way that he sees the world is clearly different um, than Dr. the Professor X. Like it's Professor X is so kind of uh, he believes in humans so much, right? And he believes in um, the the importance of life and and you don't take life no matter what. Whereas Magneto, having gone through this tragic experience, has a very different view on what life means and who deserves life and who doesn't. But he's still a good guy. And then finally, it just, he hits a wall and there's no turning back. He goes full bad. And I love that because, again, similar to your to your Fatal Attraction story, like, He's someone who is one way and then turns into something else at the second half. And I love it. X-Men First Class, an incredibly underrated film, by the way. Awesome. Is it? I thought people love this movie. Uh, it sh- they should love it more. I f- they should love it more. I feel like it's been forgotten in the it's like superhero movie. I, I think movie. it's like a good film on its own, like besides it being a superhero movie. Like, yeah, it's, just it's a awesome. Good movie. All right. I'm just going to throw one more in. Okay. Anakin Skywalker. The OG. Yeah. My guy. So here's what's crazy about Anakin is I feel like Darth Vader was a traditional kind of mustache twirly villain. Mm -hmm. He was just a bad guy. When you first meet Darth Vader, you're like, oh my God, this guy just turned dark. He went to the dark side. I'm going to take back what I just said because I guess I didn't realize this, but you kind of understand that he went to the dark side. There is a good and there is a bad and he was sucked in by the evil from the darkness and maybe you kind of understand that a little bit in the very original Star but Wars. But I feel like in the very first time you see him, you don't get a sense that he was good before he chose bad. You just know you chose bad. So He's like, the he fucking bad guy. He's always been bad. He's a bad guy. But then, lo and behold, the prequels go ahead and give him this big laid out backstory and you start to understand where he comes from. And I think they could have probably done a little bit of a better job, but that's neither here nor there. But Anakin is a perfect example of understanding why someone is bad to me Mm -hmm. at least you see that he was manipulated you see that his mother was killed you see that he was kind of a lost child trying to figure out his way and he was thrust into a world that he maybe didn't want to be into and he actually has redemption obviously in return of the jedi so darth vader anakin skywalker is kind of like a perfect villain and arc for me at least in terms of if you're just like big picture you take a step back and put 45 movies together i feel like even in the first three movies it's kind of a perfect arc because yeah even though he's mustache twirly in movie one by movie three his redemption is what makes him not mustache twirly so in that case redemption is used as like a tool to help with an arc and i think that's very cool very key and you can certainly do that. Yeah. They basically like unravel the mustache twirl <laughs> over the course of the next two movies for it's him. A, it's an amazing luxury to have. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Then I have a last one. Yeah. I know these aren't like earth shattering villains or anything, but Loki to me came up mm. um, in the Marvel universe. <laughs> We're just, well, I love our sensibility. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like obvious. 
are not nuanced villains. <laughs> but <laughs> like Glenn Close. Uh, I love Loki as so many people do. And I think the humanity part is the piece here because he sort of has tragedy. He was an orphan, but he doesn't really remember his parents. But I think the humanity piece is even though he's conniving, manipulative, and kind of doesn't care if the world burns, when you see him with his mother, it's like, it's just this baby boy who definitely has the capacity for real love and just needs a hug. Yeah. And <laughs> that's the only, there's some with his brother, but for the most part, you kind of get the sense that eh, his brother could die and he could probably be okay. Some of the real juicy stuff is at the end of the series when he actually does sacrifice himself for his brother. But to get there, I think you need to see that he loves his mother and that's like the only person he truly loves. And it's that little piece, like that little peek into a villain that can be all that you need for to make them human and relatable and all the things. I agree. I agree. That's that's really what it's all about is just making them relatable, human, and understand why they are trying to torture your hero. Yeah. Just makes your story better. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's a that's a good toe dip into villain creation. That's a lot. I feel like we could get real deep into some characters, some villain stuff in another episode. But that's a good sort of overall view of how we see our villains and how we create them. If you have any questions about villain creation, reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com <laughs> or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. Okay, I'm going to end us with the quote of the day. Yep. Okay. If I play a villain, I try to find his lightness and his good side. And if I play a hero or a good guy, I'll try to find his darkness or his flaws. Because I don't believe in good and evil. I believe in grays. Joel Kinnaman. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram and threads or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on X. Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act2 podcast is a production of Act2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Paul Lundquist.